0: Barucha ta donae lohenu melekaolam. Asher kitshanu be mitzvata vetzivanu la Sok be divre Torah. Ve harevna donae lohenu et divre Torateka befinu ufi am ka Tisrael. Ve naknu, veze etze enu, veza etze e am ka Kulanu yodea shemeka velom de Torateka lishma. Baruch ta donae ham la Torah leamo Yisrael. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. May it be soon in our days, and may it also be that Hashem makes us worthy of seeing the return of Mashiach Yeshua, and for the building of the Beit Hamikdash and the beginning of the Olam Haba. Well, it is now Parashah Bo. And welcome to the C class, the Chavinger selections. And uh, this week is probably one of the most monumental, epic tour portions ever. And uh, man, like this is this is everything. This is Pesach. This is salvation. This is redemption. This is freedom in our times. <laughs> to say um, so. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Our Basara portion we will be in today is Yochanan chapter 19, 31 through 37. Just seven verses, seven branches of the menorah, seven days of the week. Seven weeks of Pesach to Shavuot. As we know, Pesach is a seven-day celebration, so that means the eighth day, the new beginning, is Shavuot, which is separated from Pesach by seven weeks. So when you really look at these sevens that are going on, the seven verses, and all this um, that's happening right now, and we're getting ready to go right into Rosh Hashanah. So a pre-Rosh Hodesh Tov to everyone, the month of Shavat, where we celebrate the the new year of the trees on the 15th day of the month, Tuba Shavat. may it be that our fruit is renewed, that the fresh sap of Mashiach Yeshua will overflow bountifully from us. So uh, I know that you saw, hopefully you did anyway, if you didn't, uh, it's time to make Shuvah. But uh, go back to the Shabbat service uh, from Parashah Vayera, where we were in the Journey, to Gen- Journey Through Genesis study. And um, there was a Shabbat yesterday as of this recording. But uh, Zekin Hadavar, which is Zekin Yosef, was dropkicking everybody with announcements and then decided to go ninja on us and drop some Shabbat. Insights. So if you can watch the live stream of Sar Shalom Synagogue, please do so and watch that part where he does the announcements. He talks about everything that's coming up in the month of Shabbat and me and some of the other Avengers that got together after Shul, after our Minka time uh, for third mill and Havdalah. We went through the insights for the month of Shabbat. Now, we didn't go through all of them because you can never make it through all the information. As Rabbi Griffin, Captain Israel always says, we are out of time, but not out of content. And I mean, I'm telling you, for three straight hours, it felt like we were doing six hours worth of study because we were going so fast. But anyway, in Shabbat, basically this, whatever you need for healing, whether it's physical, spiritual, financial, emotional, uh, psychological, mental. Um, study-wise, just any kind of thing you can think of, pray about it and give it to Hashem. Anything that you've been having difficulties understanding, learning, studying, growing, increasing in, this is now the time to engage. So as of Rosh Hodesh Shabbat, uh, it's important to know that this is when Moshe began speaking in tongues. And yes, I did say speaking in tongues because he spoke in the 70 known languages of the world. Every language that exists today has a root in those 70 languages. And those are all subsetted from being apart from the Hebrew so there's the Hebrew and then you break that out and you can go down uh, in the the proverbial uh, root system of the tree and you'll break out into 70 different nations, which are the 70 languages and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, Moshe spoke in all that uh, as he spoke in Hebrew with the voice of the Shekinah. This is all in the Kehert Humash. You can look at the introduction to Parsha Devarim. So this is when he began the final 37 of his 37 days of his life. Um uh, not well, not 37. I forget off the top of my head, but I think it was like seven weeks or something like that. All the way from Shavat to the seventh of Adar, which I think it's 37. For some reason, I'm thinking 37. If I'm wrong, I apologize. I don't have that in front of me, but just know that this was the final Drosh period of Moshe's life. Everything is coming out. The Shekinah has been uh, imbued into the Redeemer, and the voice of Hashem is speaking through the Redeemer as he has been united with the Shekinah to give forth the recounting, the renewal of the Torah. And that's what Shavat represents. That whole month. It's permeated with just get you someness, for lack of a better terms. This is literally sefer Legiticus. So whatever it is, it, this is the time. So you need new suits, you need new superpowers and all this kind of stuff. Bring it. OK, start fusing everything that you need to, you know, like. Yeah, just go crazy. Um, there's a cartoon called Captain Planet. And um, all these children, these young people, they had uh, these special rings and they put all their powers together and they made a superhero called Captain Planet. And he took out all these evil villains and and whatnot. There is a show called the Ninja Turtles, Uh, these four turtles got together and they took out all sorts of crime and all this kind of stuff and then you got other shows like the power rangers you know they all had these morphing abilities which is by the way romans chapter 12 that's literally what happens when you undergo conversion and uh torah study teshuvah when you enter into the mikvah which is a part of the conversion process you literally morph you get like this super suit superpowers all this kind of stuff it all just floods it's like it's like a watermelon when you cut the watermelon open it's juice everywhere okay this is the month of shabbat this is probably why there's a whole fruit seder that happens so you need to get on your tuba shabbat studies if you haven't uh download the seder and all that information if you need help uh you can message me on this app, or you can uh, reach out to Sar Shalom Synagogue, mysarshalom.com. Come on! Uh, message Ask the Rabbi if you're a Facebooker in the Ask the Rabbi group for Sarshalom. Now, don't be trying to ask your way into that group, literally asking the rabbi to ask the rabbi. Uh, if Rabbi Griffin is not your rabbi, this is not the time to say, Rabbi, I have a question for you. Rabbi so-and-so says, Rabbi so-and-so says, Rabbi so-and-so And this Rabbi that I listen to on YouTube over here says, da-da-da-da. So uh, I just need to know what's up. And it's just kind of like, okay, so you want to think about what you're asking. Like, think about, okay, so my question is, and my question is based off of something that I'm thinking through, not something that I've been told by other sects of Judaism. Like, so that's kind of important so that that way you can ensure the best results of your question to be answered, uh, in a timely and effective manner, uh, and things like that. Because again, this is the ask the rabbi page to the one that you've designated as your rabbi. So anyway, so much more I can say about all that, but this is like, it's, it's big. This is epic. I mean, I don't really know how to get this all in and get this all down, but, I think it's just important that before we continue on with the C-Class episode here, that you take advantage of Shabbat. Uh This is the month of Minka. So sh- shoot for and aim all targets at Minka prayer, you know, and during Minka prayer, let loose with everything that's on your heart, everything that's on your mind before Hashem, let loose and, and really singing your brakas, you know, and things like that. When you go through the Minka service, you know, you're doing the Tehillim 145. Some people have the custom to do the offerings before Tehillim 145, Psalm 145. And uh, when you do the offerings, you're uh, you're representing the time frame of offering the evening lamb, which does correspond to when Mashiach was offered. So. You're having all this go on and then you're gonna go right from so if you're doing the offerings and then everybody does Talene one forty five and then you go right from there into the Shemon ray, the Amidah. Then after the Amidah, uh on the non Roshodesh day, uh you will be doing the what's called the Taknun, the falling down prayer, which is likened to uh, burying yourself or dying to yourself. And then when you stand up at the end of this prayer, it's likened to you being resurrected anew. So you basically ascend all the way up to Hashem. You come all the way down to the lowest point after the Amidah, through the taknun prayer, you're buried. And then you raise back up for the Elenu, coming out of the taknun raised up in the Taknun into the Elenu, which is where you're truly standing. So you're literally experiencing this ascent and descent and ascent again. And so... Taking advantage of all that, and I mean all of us doing these things together and whatever we've been struggling with and, and failing in and just being so frustrated and irritated and put out with. Side note, Musar by Batya, Musar with Batya, that study, make sure you're doing that every week. I'm telling you, you, you want change, you want redemption, you want true, amazing glory of God to flood your world and your life make that happen. So Avengers assemble. Yochanan 1931. It was the day of preparation, i.e. known as the 14th of Nisan. This is the day you want to make sure you burn all your chametz If you have your lulav still, uh, because that would be preferable. This is when you would burn your lulav with your chametz. So uh, if you can't do any of the burnings, this is the time where you symbolically have everything removed. And in our community, we do it by 10 a.m., 10 a.m. of this day. So you'd be uh, removing all your homets with your lulav and everything and, and taking it out. So if you think about really the implications of that and going back into the studies of the lulav and how it represents people like us, who we are, and it represents the 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 Hashem's divine name, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So through Hashem's name, we're removing the uh, the pride and the arrogance and that which puffs us up and keeps us separate from Hashem. So we're doing that by extracting that, you know, and it's just kind of a it's a, a moving thing, really, when you think about it. But during this day, we're setting up, we're preparing, we're getting ready for a really, really big and long night. The Pesach Seder, talking like 16,000 hours, leaning to the left, like just what in the world, <laughs> you know? So it's just kind of like, all right, so what does it take to get ready for that day? And there's going to be matzo of crumbs everywhere. So that's that's the setting, that's the backdrop. And it says, and the next day was the festival Shabbat, because if you've listened to the Haftorot with myself and Hasis Baz, may he, may Hashem bless him and continue to fill him with Torah wherever he is. I mean, uh, but if you've listened to our Haftorot, you would learn through all of those hours and hours and hours of uh, studies that Pesach itself, literally the 15th of Nisan, because Pesach is literally that day, the rest of the week is called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And by the way, so you have the 15th of Nisan, which is the Shabbat, the Pesach day. Then right after that, at that will be the beginning of unleavened bread, which starts with the 16th of Nisan, which is called the day of first fruits. So this is resurrection day. And there's a whole study about the first fruits. And I did a podcast on that too. If you want to go back in the, in the uh, chronicles of Shomer man, uh, you can go back through and, and find that. And Learn about the 16th of Nissan. So when we talk about counting the Omer, when we say the day after the Shabbat is when we begin to count, that means the day after the 15th of Nissan, because the 15th of Nissan is known as Shabbat, whether it's on a Wednesday, which is not really a real day, so whether it's on a fourth day or a third day or or something like that, however Pesach seems to fall out on the calendar. Uh, this week or this year? Let me go to go to my handy dandy calendar over here to look for Pesach, which is the fourteenth of Nissan. Fourteenth of Nissan is in Abril of our Gregorian calendar. Uh, so Abril, uh, so Díez de Abril, which is the tenth. Uh, that's going to be the first day of the Omer. So we're going to count the Omer on a prep day, which is cool. So prep day of Pesach is going to be April the 8th, which is 14th of Nisan. And then on the, so yeah, so we're going to be going into Pesach. Pesach will begin on a fifth day this year. So on fifth day, that will be a Shabbat which the Havdalah of that Shabbat will be the Festival of first fruits, which is going to take us right into the Havdalah of that day, which you don't really do a Havdalah that day, so never mind. But the sundown of that day into the next day is going to be the normal weekly Shabbat. So the Shabbat week of Pesach. So you're going to have a Shabbat. First of all, let's break it all the way down. You have a prep day. Then you have a Shabbat, which is Pesach, and then you're going to have another prep day, and then you're going to have the Shabbat during the week of unleavened bread, like the normal Shabbat. And then you're going to have Havdalah, and then you're going to go into the rest of Pesach, and then Pesach will uh, conclude with the meal of Mashiach. As we enter into the 21st of Nissan, which will be on the 15th of the Gregorian uh, calendar of April. And so after that, you'll be off into the end of Nissan uh, and then go right into the month of ER uh, the following week. So that's kind of what our calendar looks like, in, in case you wanted to know. But, uh, I just want to bring that up that the Pesach day, the 15th of Nisan is called a Shabbat. So literally we were set free and redeemed on Shabbat. So there's been a whole lot of, uh, things coming out about Hashem sending Mashiach, uh, for the final Geulah on a Shabbat. And obviously Mashiach himself says, pray that the day of Hashem doesn't happen on a Shabbat. But, uh, you know, let's talk about that real quick, I'm swerving and talking about everything else. Might as well go into that. Uh So let me get my trusty app over here. Let's see, stand by. Yeah, pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Shabbat. So that's uh Matid Yahu twenty four twenty. So let's just look at this for a second and get some context here. Says so, so when you see standing in the holy place, the I'm going back to fifteen, so we're gonna go fifteen through twenty-five. Here we go. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination of desolation described by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, so the abomination of desolation, okay, they're talking about that in the temple here. go back up. I was looking at some footnotes, trying to get some more onto that. But anyway, it says, um, let no one on the housetop come down to retrieve anything from his house. Let no one in the field return for his cloak. How miserable those days will be for pregnant and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not occur in the winter or on the Shabbat. For at that time, there will be great tribulation unmatched from the beginning of the world till now and never to see again, never to be seen again. If those days had not been cut short, nobody would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short at that time. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Mashiach or there he is. Don't do not believe it so do not believe it if you see it. For false Mashiachs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders that would deceive even the elect if that were possible. See, I have told you in advance. So this section is called the abomination of desolation. So now Mashiach goes in on verse 26. We're talking about the return of the Son of Man. So these are distinct separate things. So if we're talking about our flight not being on Shabbat, it's not that our flight on Shabbat is connected with the return of Mashiach. It's actually connected with destruction and and plagues and things that are going to happen. So if that were the case, go back to the pattern that when we're in Egypt, when the plague of the firstborn happened, it happened on a Shabbat. So, and this, significantly enough, was the day that Mashiach's body was in the tomb. He was buried this whole entire day, and it wasn't until that Havdalah that he would be resurrected. So, just make sure that uh, we're understanding what that means as far as, you know, well, if the Messiah returns on a Shabbat, I I mean, I thought we didn't want him to return on Shabbat. It's not, no, that's about the abomination of desolation it has to do with the temple and whatnot so we currently have no temple so there's not a way for the abomination of desolation to truly happen like that so just some things to think about not really that we need to get carried away and judgmental and saying no it's this and no it's that uh, if you've listened to my garrett to rome podcast Uh, that I posted just last week on chapter three, then uh, you would understand that there's no way for us to truly nail down the specifics and quantify actuality of reality, how it's going to go at every single moment in time. The only way to really do that is through the word of God, which doesn't change, but yet time and the way it exists in our eyes constantly changes because creation is renewed at every moment by something that, or shall I say, shall we say someone who does not change at any moment. So just some things to think about there. But anyway, um, just wanted to point out festival of Shabbat. This is when the exodus happened. Mashiach could possibly return on a Shabbat and that, that would be totally awesome. And, um, You know, so just just be aware. Oh, and I love the fact that it talks about if you hear people saying, look, here he is and he's doing signs and wonders and all that. It's like, don't believe that. I, I love that because Mashiach has never, ever been about. Let me do some signs and wonders to show you that I am Mashiach. You know, it's always what is the message? Because Moshe came with the message. To the to the children of Israel, specifically, he came to the elders, and the elders didn't want to re- accept that. And what was his message? His message was, Pekod, Pekod Hashem has surely remembered you. And what did Yosef say to the children of Israel before his death? He said, Hashem will surely remember you. Pekod, Pekod okay? And those will be the words of the Redeemer. So, We have to think about what is the message of the one who we're anticipating, because if it's anything that has to do not with the message of Torah, not connected with the promises Hashem has given to the patriarchs to gather in all the exiles and things like that, bring us back to the land, build the Beit HaMikdash, cause the whole world to enter into service to Hashem. If it's something different than all that, then you might want to consider the source. So next day was the festival of Shabbat. It says, which is Pesach, so that the bodies should not remain on the execution stake during Shabbat, which would have started at sundown of preparation day, by the way. It says the Judean leaders asked Pilate to have the legs broken, to have the bodies taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then the other who had been executed with Yeshua. This is pretty crazy because they're trying to like expedite the process, break the legs of the people who are on the crucifixion stake, because if we break their legs, they can't lift themselves up to breathe, i.e. prolong their life. So they're just going to suffocate to death quickly or more quickly. It says in verse thirty three. Now, when they came to Yeshua and saw. Okay, they first they they went to this place, which is where Yeshua was, and then they saw they stopped. They perceived they took cognizance and awareness. What is going on here? They saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. That's powerful, because as we're going to learn in a second and as it is pointed out in Sefer, he knew Sefer ha he shall we say, um, the 16th mitzvah of the Torah, the 16th commandment. The prohibition to break a bone of the Pesach. OK, so there's a whole thing about you shall not break the bone of the Pesach. So that's right here. So Mashiach is totally a Pesach offering. I mean, he's way more than that because he's the Torah. But, you know, it just goes without saying that obviously he would be the Pesach. So the Torah being considered a Pesach sacrifice. What I think about when I hear that is how we say, you know, you are what you eat. Well, you know, the Torah is what it gives, which is life. Clarity, wisdom, understanding connection to a shim. So, yeah, so if the Torah is going to say, well, here's a Pesach for you, here is a Passover, be free from death and bondage, then that's what the Torah would be. And you can't break its legs, you know, because that'd be weird. The legs of the Torah, by the way, brought down by Rabbi Greenbaum, is Bami Bar, and what happens in Bami Bar, specifically in, I believe it is chapter 9. Oh, my notes are right here. I was about to say, uh, chapter 9, verse 12, there is Pesach Cheney. So the people who were defiled by the bones of Yosef, which is kind of weird because the bones of Yosef should not imp- imp- uh, impart impurity. But apparently, due to... Uh, that's one opinion that it was the people who were carrying the bones of Yosef, which, by the way, they were carrying bones of a lot of people. Uh, one of the other people they were carrying bones was Judah. But we won't get into that tangent. Just wanted to bring up that there should have been more people coming forth. But, you know, these people here are representatives of other people who also needed to do a Pesach that could not because they were contaminated ritually and pure, from corpses. And it is a mitzvah to escort the dead, by the way, because they're all going to bury the sons of Yaakov in the cave of Machpelah, with the exception of Yosef, who they bury in Shechem. So shouts out to the Ish Ishpelah, who has that drop. And I believe it was from Legends of the Jews. But anyway, uh everything about Yosef is all about outside. So, for whatever that's worth. Just want to put that out there. But you remember the one who took out the bodies of Nadav and Avihu from Parshash Shemini when they went in with strange fires to the Holy of Holies to light uh, incense in there and Hashem like consumed them and they died and stuff. So like, yeah. So the people who uh, had to tend to those bodies, they also didn't get to celebrate the Pesach. So uh, Pesach Shani, and again, this happened the the whole year later, like as they were out in the wilderness. This didn't happen like when they first went out there. But, you know, everybody celebrate the Pesach there in Egypt, you know, and uh, there's the whole drop Targum Yonatan talks about transporting us on the wings of eagles to the Temple Mount during the Pesach night because we were already dressed up and ready to go. And that's why we had to eat in haste because Hashem flew us to Mount Moriah and then brought us back. And then Pharaoh was like, get out. And it's like, okay, let's go back to where we came from. And it's going to be a long journey this time. <laughs> but anyway, just a little midrash at you real quick drive-by's. Okay. So all that being said, the people who tended to Nadab and Avihu, they were contaminated with ritual impurity. And they came forth to Moshe and said, we want to eat the Pesach. And it was like, okay, well will purify yourselves and the 14th of ER into the 15th of ER, we'll have a Pesach Shani because I went to Hashem and he said, this is what you can do. So Hashem was the one who brought forth Pesach Shani, not Moshe and not anybody doing MSU. It's all a whole big thing. So, and the the commentaries I was reading, He's Kuni is one of them was saying, yeah, this is also um, applied to Pesach Shani, you don't break the legs of the Pesach. So it's just kind of like there's something here with not breaking the legs of the Pesach. So that's Time permitting, we'll get into that. Going on, it says, but one of the soldiers, this verse 34 in Yokan 19, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. Remember blood and water Uh, for right now. Let's just remember that in the Beta Mikdash during the same time this crucifixion was happening all the way up till sundown. They were slaughtering the Pesach lambs starting at noon that day, all the way up until everybody's lamb got offered. So the temple is filled with blood in the courtyard. And what they would do is they would come in with water and they would wash the whole entire ground the courtyard area with water so that blood and water would be washed out from the temple. There is a whole drainage system and it came out of the side of the of kind of one of the sides of the, the beta mcdash outside the walls of the beta mcdash and blood and water would basically flow out of the temple at the conclusion of this service that day. So as the temple had blood and water flowing out of it, so did Mashiach's body. And as lambs were hanging up in the Beit HaMikdash for the blood to drain out of them, so Mashiach was hanging and his blood was draining out of him. But at this point in our passage, we're reading about after Mashiach gave up the ghost, because that's what happened, like the the way the letters flew off the tablets. Same thing. It flew out of Mashiach. okay, and the only thing left was a corpse. Which is like the broken pieces of the sapphire tablets, which are by the way very, very heavy. I want to shout out to Nova, he did all sorts of ridiculous calculations. Nova is one of our Avengers, aka Zanif, the helmet of salvation, if you will. Uh, he was doing, he showed me all the calculations, broke it down in gallons and pounds. It was so beautiful. And uh, for lack of a better term, the weight, pound wise will put you at over a half ton. So I'm just kind of like, are you serious right now? Like the weight of the sapphire tablets, the weight of Moshe's staff, which are the same, which is the same as the water halakhically uh, fit for a mikvah, okay, which is 40 say, that was over a half ton. And that's how much everything weighed. So just thinking about the Sapphire tablet when it's broken into pieces. Like we're talking chunks. Probably the weight of a person, which would be Mashiach's body. So I'm making the connection here. uh, Unbeknownst to me, just thinking. First of all, I'm just mind blown, by the way. So Nova, like, get some help. But uh, I'm just blue screened because... That's heavy, heavyweight. And then the pieces and then Mashiach's body is compared to the broken piece of the sapphire tablet. Because as the Midrash teaches, Midrash says in the Parsha were the the whole thing about the broken piece of the sapphire tablets. Talked about in Devarim. It says that the breaking of the tablets is likened to the death of the righteous. And the death of the righteous also bring atonement. So anyway, Mashiach's body is a broken piece of the tablets. Selah. But this broken piece of tablet here is pierced and blood and water comes out of it. You need to know the tablets, the sapphire tablets were also pierced so much so that uh, the Talmud brings down that the letter Samak and the letter Mim miraculous miraculously floated, suspended in the tablets without the center cut out falling out so if you were to hold up the sapphire tablets you could see through no matter which way you rotated it because it's a cube so you're rolling it you know like the rubik's cube you're just kind of looking around but everywhere you saw a sonic and everywhere you saw a mim there was the middle part of that letter that floated and it didn't fall out so you could literally see straight through the tablets like a little pierce points and so the sonic and the Mem make up the name of the Yatsuhara, by the way. Okay, so the Yatsuhara is known as the Sumak Mim. So if you ever see that name anywhere, that's what that means. And so much so that the, the teaching is that the Sumak Mim is miraculously suspended, i.e. annulled through the power in the Kedusha and the Sapphire tablets. So much so that had we received those tablets, we would have taken these tablets, went right into the promised land. All the nations that were there would have converted immediately. The kingdom of Hashem would have been established. Moshe would have been Mashiach, we would have built a temple and it would have never been destroyed. Because death was banished from the world at the giving of the Torah, we were immortal uh, and all that kind of stuff. So we attained what we lost in the garden but we danced around the golden calf. So the tablets got broken. So we never really got there. So now through Mashiach's brokenness, we're now being set up and primed for when he returns and will finally bring that all down on an even higher level because of the descent that we made from our previous ascent. And every time you make a descent, like you lower yourself through, uh, you know, humility or chasve shalom, through sin and all sorts of things like that, that lowering of self actually causes the next time you rise, you'll rise to a higher place than before because through proper repentance, proper brokenness and contriteness of heart will cause you to shoot up and to rise to higher levels than you previously experienced before because now you're having to work against that which lowered you. So, Let's just take the sin for a moment, a sin that you uh gave into, and it felt good at the moment and it you know uh afterwards you had all the guilt and all the remorse, and it's just kind of like, yeah, the sin was great, that's why I did it, but at the same time, I didn't want to, so now you're gonna have to work through knowing the pleasure of what you fell to, and then now you're gonna work against that. For the sake of Hashem, while you're crying out to Hashem while you're broken up about what you did against Hashem, and you're gonna grab a hold of Hashem again, and you're going to pursue him, chase after him, run after him, so this works for anger outbursts, this works for abuse and uh all sorts of uh immoralities and things like that, like we fall prey to some of those things, and hus Shalom that we do. But if we do or if we did, if we have before, uh, we can all testify that, you know, through our teshuva, whether it's recent or long time ago, you understand what I'm talking about with these higher levels that you've now been able to achieve because of what you had to work through. You had to work past. And the fight is never over just because you've passed it, just because you've been delivered from it. Another fight is coming and it's not going to be in that same area because when you make to you the previous test that you failed in before the previous temptation that you fell short in before, like when you make to you don't fall short in that again, which means, OK, you've passed that test. Let's go to something new, something you haven't dealt with yet. So and this is the this is what we have to do for the rest of our life. Work up the proverbial mountain, get past all of these tests and all of these challenges. And uh, if we get hit with a temptation or if we get hit with a struggle, we get hit with a hurdle. Like, okay, pick yourself back up because that hurdle is going to come again next time you jump it. And if you don't, for some reason, make it that time you try again. If you don't, you try again. This is why it's so beautiful. We have a model of this in our leadership and namely in our own rabbi who is Captain Israel. If you study Captain America for just a half second, you see from the beginning of his movies, he was getting pummeled and all he would do was just get right back up. And he could be like, I do this all day. And that's what we need to be like. We can do this all day. We can fight and fight and fight all day because why we got all of these ridiculous weapons of spiritual uh, amazingness that tear down principalities and strongholds and arguments of all kinds. So those things come from within ourself actually and we allow whatever level of these things in our life and so... You can turn those levels down and um, transform those darknesses into lights. So this is why we're supposed to overcome evil with good. This is why we're actually supposed to use our Yetzirah in our service to Hashem. This is a part of the study of the Shema, how you, you need to use both of your hearts, which is your evil inclination and your good inclination to be subservient to Hashem. So yeah. So anyway, there's a whole drop on all that. So blood and water. There we go. All right. Verse 35 says he who has seen it has testified and his testimony is true. He knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. Let's read that again. He who has seen it has testified and his testimony is true. He knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. So, in other words, this soldier was like, okay, listen, y'all. Like, everybody was like, crucify, crucify this guy. He got crucified, he got executed. These people died. There were other people on, on there's a pe- person on each side of him. We had to come through, we had to break their legs, and then we were getting ready to break this guy's legs. And it was like, wait a minute he's already dead that's weird and uh furthermore uh we're just want to check and see he's truly dead right so we stick him in the side and blood and water comes out and all of a sudden there's a revelation it's just kind of like wait a minute what and so with that being the case there's like truly this is the son of god like This is Mashiach, the king of Israel, because son of God, by the way, is not in the way that we think of like, okay, God had an offspring like this God who was born from God. It's like, no, son of God is actually a title that means king of Israel. And furthermore, Mashiach comes from Hashem because the voice that emanates from Hashem, the word that emanates from Hashem, the thoughts that Hashem has, that's who Mashiach is. So, by the way, did you know that your children, my children, are our thoughts and our deeds, which is why Shema t- telling us to teach our thoughts and our deeds to love Hashem, the Lord our God, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all of our resources. So, yes, children is a physical thing that we have. You know, when a man and a woman comes together, who's in covenant, by the way. Uh, but yeah, so if you want to have legitimate children. But they're also your thoughts and your deeds, your speech, all of that. That's your that's also your offspring. So just another way to look at son of God, because the Greek mindset of that, that's where the Trinity comes in. But we're not Greek. So blessed be the name of Hashem for that. So this soldier is testifying. He's just like, man, this is it. Like that's Mashiach right there. That's Melech Israel. And it's like, okay, so Yokanan is like, listen, this guy saw it. His testimony is true. He knows he's telling the truth so that you may believe. Then going on to say, these things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not a bone of his shall be broken. This is in our parashah this week. So we'll get to that after this verse. And again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. And that's obviously from Zechariah Zachariah 1210. All right, so let's go ahead and quickly uh, hit up our insights with the last moments of time we have remaining here on today's episode of C-Class. So I'm going to start with uh, the... Milstein Editions, the Chumash with the teachings of the Talmud. I'm on page 128. Where are you at? It says, and you shall not break a bone of it. This is Shemot chapter 12, verse 46. And let's just start reading. It says, our posse says you shall not break a bone in it. Not you shall not break a bone of it, which is interesting. You shall not break a bone in in it. Wow. Wow. Bow, which is also the word for on him. You should not break a bone on him. Interesting. It says, so you should not break a bone in it. The term in it limits the prohibition to a valid Pesach offering if it becomes invalid, there is no prohibition against breaking its bones. So now go back to our what we just read. Mashiach's bones weren't broken, which was proving his validity. Had his legs been broken, it was like, yeah, he wasn't Mashiach anyway. He was just a man. So there you go. But that didn't happen. So celebrate good times. Come on. All right. One opinion is that it is as that this is truly only or this is true only if the offering became disqualified before the blood was applied to the Mizbiak blood had to be sprinkled on the altar first that's interesting because when Mashiach was whipped there was a lot of sprinkling going on there but blood originally was sprinkled in the garden anyway because Mashiach when he was diving in all night was sweating Drops of blood. So he already began the sprinkling in the garden, which some avengers say could this be the scene of the crime? Originally, this is all happening in a very small area over here. You know, Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives, the Garden Tomb, and all that kind of stuff. So just just something to think about. Not necessarily saying we need to get something conclusive, but Mashiach is sprinkling blood in, uh, multiple places, uh, at the, at the garden of Gethsemane at the praetorium where they whipped him and also, uh, on his way to the crucifixion site, because I imagine he was bleeding as he was being marched to the site of where the crucifixion would take place. And obviously when he was hanging on the stake, he was bleeding as well. And again, we remember the crucifixion of Mashiach on a daily basis uh, as we go in and come out of our homes, because what's hanging on our doorposts, Mashiach, the mezuzah, which is why that sheen that's on there is the letter is the letter of the name Shaddai, which is the Gematria of 314, which is the name of Hashem and also the name of Mem Tet. So Memtet and Shaddai have the same gematria, and that is the mezuzah. And remember, Memtet is the shliach of Hashem, the representation of Hashem, which is the angel of Hashem, which is Mashiach Yeshua. So there's all that to place. Going on to say, so there was never a period during which it was valid. So one opinion is that this is true, like you should not break the bone of it. And uh, if you do, if it becomes invalid, there's no prohibition of breaking it. So if that's true, only if the offering became disqualified before the blood was applied to the Mizbiak. So you can break the legs of a Pesach if it's invalid because uh, the blood that was uh, if the blood never got sprinkled on the altar. And if the offering is disqualified before the blood got sprinkled on the altar. So yeah. So anyway, there's a lot there to take into the validity of it. So if we make it all the way to don't break his legs, just to simplify what I just said, is a lot of commentary. Basically everything is kosher. It's all valid because if, if legs got broken, That means something went wrong way up the chain, like his blood didn't get sprinkled on the altar. He got blemished somehow or something like that, which, by the way, he went through vigorous trials and no one ever brought up anything that made him invalid. So there was that. No one ever said he changed the Torah. No one ever said he uh, he said, well, when I die, when I resurrect, you know, we're going to start this new thing called Christianity. We're going to move away from Jewishness and Abraham and stuff. And we're going to start doing new stuff that Paul's going to teach you. By the way, Paul, during this time, was killing these very people who had these beliefs and who followed Mashiach. So it's also something to think about. But it says if it had been valid and only later became invalidated. The prohibition of breaking its bones still applies. So like if it later became invalidated, then uh, you still can't break its bones. So now the door is open for, okay, well, could Mashiach be invalid? It's like, well, let's just think about what we've talked about on this podcast so far. Obviously, the answer is no, he's not invalid. He is very valid. <laughs> valid like salad, shall we say. Anyway. Kosher par, get you some, unless you put dairy in it. Okay, uh, another opinion is that once the offering becomes val- invalid, even if it had earlier been valid, there is no longer any prohibition against breaking the bones. Pesachim 83A. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about... Let's do the in it. Okay, so in it refers to a valid Pesach offering. The Torah prohibits. Breaking the bones of a Pesach offering that is ritually pure, but not on one that became impure. We see this from the prohibition in our pasuk. You shall not break a bone in it, which limits the prohibition to a valid Pesach offering. And a Pesach offering that became impure is not valid. Pesachim 84a and Shavuot 3b. Okay, 3b. So the breaking the bone has to do with the the whole idea of it's valid versus invalid. Hmm. All right. Let's just go to the midrash Rabbah and finish out. Oh, but not, not yet. Hopefully, we can get to the midrash Rabbah. But I want to bring this down because it says see Eileen, 34:21. Uh Psalms 34:21, it says, He protects all his bones, not one of them is broken. God says, You have 248 limbs. And there are 248 commandments in the Torah. If you maintain the Torah, I will maintain your body. As it says, he protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Midrash Tehalim 32, 4. This verse can be read. As he protects all his bones for one of them is not broken. This is a reference to the indestructible loose bone from which the body will be regenerated at the time of the resurrection. That's from the Mikdash Mayat, citing Sefer Hamishkal. Interesting that Mashiach's body wasn't broken and it was resurrected, so he is the loose bone. Uh, Midrash Rabbah 19.6. That's extra information, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. No foreigner may eat from the pesach. It says, "This is in fulfillment of that which is stated." He relates his words to Yaakov, his decrees and his laws to Israel. He did not do so for any other nation. His laws, they did not know. 147, one forty-seven, nineteen through twenty. This verse alludes specifically to the Pesach offering concerning which HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Israel: in effect, in our verse, no other nation shall mingle with you in partaking of the Pesach offering, and they shall not know its mysteries. Rather, you are to partake of it by yourselves." There's the whole thing about people who say Jews and Gentiles want a Messiah. That's that's kind of very, very false. And also when Mashiach sends us out to the nations to immerse them, he's saying, go make the nations Jewish so that that way they can partake of me with you because you're only supposed to eat it by yourself. So this is why Christianity just kind of doesn't work, because it's just like, yeah, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how you do we can all love God. And it's like, yeah, you can all love God, but what does love mean? And furthermore, how are you included in God as far as covenant? Because if you're looking for salvation any other way than immersing into the name of God and entering into covenant with Hashem and upholding the uh, the, the ketubah, which is the marriage contract, then uh, you're going to have some issues. And furthermore, the fact that you believe in Mashiach anyway is already proof that you've given yourself two ideals of Jewish understanding, i.e. the oral Torah, because the only way to know about Mashiach is through the oral Torah. So therefore, the whole thing about the gospel accounts, the account of Acts and the letters of Kepha and Shaul and Yochanan and Yehuda and all that, uh, well, That's just proof that you already agree to the Oral Torah. If you don't agree to the Oral Torah, you better stop reading those letters because they're full of Oral Torah. However, Mashiach doesn't want you to stop reading them. And that's why it's beautiful that if you are reading them, you just need to go ahead and keep connecting dots. Anyway. uh, Let's see here. Midrash Rabbah. Oh, the aroma of the Pesach traveled a distance of 40 days' journey. Midrash Shabbat 19.5. Uh, Israelites who are circumcised did not descend to Gehenna, even if they have sinned. Midrash Shabbat 19.5. They break that down and say, Bereshit Rabbah 48a states that Abraham sits at the gates of Gehenna and does not allow any circumcised Israelite to enter that just makes you have to ask the question, what does it mean to be circumcised? I did a podcast on that last week. Uh, I thought I had tabbed in here about the broken bones, but Bezrider Shem, I can do that at another time. So I think we will index it here uh, with our study. But just understanding that the whole aspect of the broken bones has to do with the offering is valid. And the testimony of Mashiach Yeshua is true. And if it were not, then we're wasting our time. And Parsha Bo is all about us getting out of Mitzrayim and all about us truly entering into those elevated stages of becoming a nation that is unto Hashem and being a light to the world, bringing clarity, bringing wisdom, bringing understanding, and bringing shalom to all mankind by the power of Mashiach, or by the power of Hashem via his Mashiach, his right arm, that is, so by the power of the arm of God, the Messiah, Mashiach, and us laying down our lives and uh, being found in the blood and the water, which is the testimony of Messiah Yeshua and the circumcision of our heart and us surrendering our lives for the glory of Hashem. Baruch Haba Bishem Aronai. Baruch Atah Aronai. Eloheinu Melek Haolam. Asher natan Lanu Torah Temet. Vekaye Olam Nathabet Okeinu. Baruch Atah No ten ha Torah. Amen.